you're able to continue standing uh, for the reading of the scripture, we are going to be in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. Praise God. It's a good day to be together. Uh, I want to invite you to open up uh, to the text that Kim read, which is in John chapter 20. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, that's uh, one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. That's about three quarters of the way through your Bible, uh, if you need a minute to look that up. Uh, John was a close personal friend of Jesus. In fact, so close that he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved, which is a little bit of a brag. Uh, if, I wish I could put that on my resume. That's awesome, right? Jesus, John is the one that Jesus loved, and he loved Jesus so much that he wrote this story for us. Uh, so as you're turning there, though, I want you to think about uh, when the last time was that you changed your mind. Uh, now, I'm not talking about changing your mind on small things like I used to love vanilla and now I love chocolate ice cream, or changing your brand of toothpaste. Uh, I mean, when was the last time you really changed your mind? about something that really mattered. 
Uh, maybe you changed your mind about uh, a decision that you were making, maybe about a career path. Uh, or you changed your mind about uh, your politics. If you did, I really want to know how you did that. Uh, because people don't like doing that. It is very hard to change your mind. And we typically don't change our minds very easily. And if you doubt that, all you have to do is try to change someone else's mind. And you will find real quick that we do not like changing our minds. In fact, uh, neuroscience tells us that the older that you get, the harder it is to change your mind. Uh, that our brains tend to get really solid and stuck in their ways. That's why kids can pick up a language in like three days, and I can be on Duolingo for years and never get Spanish. We tend to get stuck in our ways. And in fact, even uh, when you are presented with new information that doesn't quite compute, uh, the first thing that your brain does is actually floods your brain with the fear chemical. That your brain is saying, hold on, this doesn't quite fit. This doesn't quite uh, fit my paradigm. And so the first thing I need to do is I need to be afraid of this. I need to be a little bit cautious about this. Uh, but your brain also, when you are in a group of people who all agree with you, uh, it tends to give you nice feelings. And that it wants you to think like everybody else. It wants you to fit in. And to some degree, this is good, right? This helps you in emergencies. This helps you in, in moments when you need to be decisive. You have your eyes and your ears open, but that also means that it's possible to get stuck in your thinking and to actually resist change. Because just simply looking at facts doesn't change you. There's something deeper that's going on. And I say all that because Resurrection Sunday is the greatest example of people changing their minds in human history. I mean, they knew what death looked like. They had wrapped the body of Jesus. They had put him in the tomb. They had experienced his lifeless body. And yet three days later, they went around claiming Jesus rose from the dead. And that a whole movement called Christianity, a whole movement called the way of Jesus, was born out of this ridiculous claim that someone who was dead rose again. And just like you and me, we wouldn't, we wouldn't just uh, believe that right in the moment. Right? We would have a lot of questions. It would be hard for me to change my mind about that. And yet these folks who experienced what happened on Resurrection Sunday had their minds changed so radically that it changed the trajectory of their life forever. Now, here's the thing. You and I, I, I think we have this general assumption uh, that if we had been there, we would believe. Right, like we, I, I tend to think, and, and probably you tend to think, that if I had seen Jesus rise from the dead, I would believe. Or if I had seen Jesus perform miracles, I would believe. Or if I had listened to Jesus' teaching, I would believe. Uh, but John tells us, and all of the gospel writers, in fact, tell us, that lots of people saw Jesus, lots of people witnessed the miracles of Jesus, and even some people witnessed Jesus rise from the dead and still didn't believe. And so the reality is, just simply being there and seeing it with your eyes is not enough. But there's something else that happened. There's something else that has to happen for them, and something else that has to happen for you and for me to truly see and understand who Jesus is. And so we're beginning a series this week called, I Once Was Blind. We're looking at stories of people who thought they knew Jesus, uh, who had assumptions about who Jesus was, who even saw Jesus, saw him perform miracles, and yet, that wasn't quite enough. There was something else that had to happen to change them truly and deeply. And if that's true for them, that's probably true for you too. And we're going to begin this week in John chapter 20, uh, the biggest moment of anyone changing their minds in human history. What I want to show you is there are three stages that all of us have to go through in changing our minds. 
Three stages in this journey of coming to understand or coming to believe in who Jesus is and what he did uh, that we see happen here in John chapter 20. And you're probably in one of these stages, uh, but each stage has an invitation and a fear that we have to get through. Right, so the first stage is in verses 1 and 2, and this stage is what we're going to call ignorance. Now, I'm not calling you ignorant, so if you hear that, you're like, no, that, let, me, let me explain where we're going to go with that. There's something that we don't know. Uh, John 20, verses 1 and 2 bring us, bring us to Mary Magdalene. It says this, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, Mary has been a longtime follower of Jesus, probably one of the earliest followers of Jesus. She's been there with him every step of the way. She comes to the tomb early. In fact, so early that it is dark outside. Now, this would probably be between 3 and 6 a.m. So if you think you got up early for church on Sunday, Mary was up early on Easter Sunday. But when John writes his story, John is a very creative writer. He is writing because he wants you to think about it. He wants you to put yourself in the story. And so the fact that Mary comes when it's dark is not simply a matter of like, whoops, the sun hasn't come out yet. It's a picture of blindness or ignorance. In fact, at the very beginning of John's story, uh, he says, light has come into the world and darkness has not overcome it. In other words, Jesus has come. He is the light. And so anyone who is not in Jesus is in darkness. And this is what Jesus said in John 12. Anyone follows me, I am the light of the world. They will not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. And so the fact that Mary is here when it's still dark tells us something about what's going on inside of her. But there's a darkness. There's an ignorance. She doesn't quite see everything that she is supposed to see. The reality is that however smart you are, and however smart we get as people, there's always something that we don't see. Right? There's always more that you have to learn. There's always more that you can discover. But what often happens is we kind of get set in our ways. And we say, no, I've got things figured out. Right? Mary is set in her ways. She said, Jesus died on Friday. He's still going to be dead on Sunday. And so I am just going to go and assume everything is the same. But Mary, the second thing about Mary is that Mary is haunted. And I use that word haunted on purpose. Because Mary is in a graveyard at dark. And just like you and I, when you walk by a graveyard at dark, you get the willies. All of our scary movies happen at some point or time in a graveyard at night. They had a similar thought about graveyards. And so if you're in a graveyard at night, there is something haunting you. And I think for Mary, she is haunted by this question of there has to be something more than this. Why else is she up at 3 a.m.? She can't sleep. Right? So she has this kind of thought of this is how things are, this is what's real, and yet she's haunted by this nagging sense of there has to be something more. And I think that's, you know, when we get into the kind of this way of thinking that this is all that there is, that this is my life and, and I know what I know, aren't you haunted by the sense that there could be something more? Like, I think about this with how, like, our science has progressed, and now we've got this James Webb Space Telescope just, like, looking out into the cosmos. Every time they drop a photo, I am haunted. Because I look at that, and I'm like, that is, that is huge. And then I, I, I hear us talk about how we've got everything figured out. 
And I'm like, we don't have anything figured out. That's the reality of our ignorance, is I only know what I know. And there's a whole lot more that I don't know. And the more I cling to that, the more I'm actually stuck in darkness. The more I'm actually stuck in my ignorance. And the reality is this. I think if we're honest, if we actually took a little bit of time to look at our own hearts and our minds, we prefer to stay here. Because in order to move from this stage, I have to do the hardest thing imaginable, and that is admit that I might be wrong. Right? Like when you've never been in that argument and you're just like throwing facts back and forth, and you know that you're right, but the other person just refuses to listen. It's not about facts, it's not about logic, it's about pride. That I have to admit at some point that I don't know as much as I thought. And that maybe, in fact, I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, that's humbling. And so I'd much rather stay in the darkness of my ignorance. But what if there was more? And what if you could know what that more was? You see, if you are willing to admit that you might be wrong, to humble yourself for just a moment to consider that maybe something did in fact happen on Resurrection Sunday, that maybe there is in fact a God of the universe who can overcome death, that maybe, perhaps maybe, on the other side of your ignorance is a profound freedom. And this profound freedom is the second stage of changing your mind, where you admit, maybe I don't know as much as I thought, you're then invited into searching. And searching is where we find Peter and John. Mary rushes to them, uh, and it tells us in verse 3 that Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's my favorite verse in this this whole Bible. John is saying, I'm faster than Peter. For all history, I just want you to know, on the record, I was there first. Verse 5, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that they must rise from the dead." Then the disciples went back to their homes. The second stage in this process of changing your mind, if you're willing to admit that maybe I don't have everything figured out, that maybe there is something that happened on this Resurrection Sunday, is searching. And searching is now where I'm trying to make sense of the world. Like, what is true? What is right? What actually did happen? It's fact-finding. It's maybe listening to experts, reading books, listening to podcasts. That's what the searching stage of figuring out what is true is all about, is gathering the information. And John is telling us that Peter and John ran to the tomb and they were searching for the truth. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You're in church on Easter Sunday. You're searching. Maybe this is a nice story for your your kids or your parents, but for you, it's still kind of like, I'm kind of on a fact-finding mission here. John is thinking about you right here. He's saying it's okay to search. In fact, he wants you to search. He wants you to use your brains here. Because there are two things in John's account for Simon and Peter, or sorry, for Simon and John, uh, that happened that he wants you to use your heads about. Uh, First is this he tells us that there were two or three witnesses at this event. Now, in his context, in his culture, uh, any fact was admissible in a court with two or three witnesses. Right? So, like, you could go to a court and say, My neighbor's a jerk. You needed to get two other people to confirm that to say, Yes, in fact, your neighbor's a jerk. That's kind of the, the effect of it. 
And so John is saying, look, on Resurrection Sunday, before anything else happened, there were two or three witnesses. Peter saw it. John saw it. Mary saw it. And so he is, in fact, saying, as you're reading this story, right, because he writes this a couple, maybe a generation after this event, he says, look, I want you to use your heads. I want you to think about what actually happened in this moment. That this wasn't just Mary kind of in her grief, confused. This wasn't Peter and John just kind of in a a fugue state. They are clearly looking for the body of Jesus, and they can bear witness that in that tomb was nobody. John is saying, think about this. But the second thing he tells us is about the linen cloths. He goes on a long time about the linen cloths. We get it, right? There, There was linen cloths folded up. But here's why that matters. The chief propaganda about what happened to, the, to Jesus was that his body was stolen. Now that must explain what happened. In fact, uh, Luke tells us that that was the Roman story. That's how they explained away the missing body of Jesus, is that somebody stole it. But John is saying when they went in there, they spent a lot of time touching this linen cloth. That it was there and it was folded up and it was lying as if nothing had happened to it. It was just simply there. Now, if you are going to steal a body, you are going to steal the body for the linen cloths. What are you going to do with a cadaver? You want the linen cloths. That's the nice stuff. And inside that linen cloth will be a lot of expensive spices and herbs and maybe even some gold or some some memorabilia within that. That's why you stole a body. And so John is saying, look, what did they see as you're searching for the truth of what happened on this day? What did they see? They saw the linen cloths folded. No one had ripped it apart. No one had cut it in half. Something had happened and the body was not stolen. You contrast this with John 11 when Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. He calls Lazarus out and John is clear that Lazarus kind of hobbles his way out still wrapped in the linen cloths. That the linen cloths had to be taken off of him. But what happened here is something Similar and yet different. But the body is gone, but it certainly wasn't stolen. You see, what John is arguing for, for you to believe, and what all the early Christians believed who bore witness to this, is that Jesus rose from the grave literally and in a bodily form. That his body got up out of the tomb. That his body breathed again, and it was, in fact, Jesus himself who had overcome the power of the grave. That is the claim of Resurrection Sunday. Because here's the thing. If, if Jesus rose spiritually, no one would care. Right? If it's like, well, I followed my teacher Jesus, and he died, but I believe his spirit lives on. Who cares? That doesn't make a difference to my life. But if Jesus got up out of the grave breathed again, walked again, moved again, and was alive again, that would change everything about how you and I live. Everything about how you and I think. Because that is impossible unless Jesus is God. And that is why Christians in the first and second and third centuries died for this. Not because they believe that Jesus rose in a spiritual ghost form, but because his body got up out of the grave. And if that happened, then everything has to be different. And this is, I think, the reality of what John is saying. Is that you cannot simply look at this 
nod your head, and walk away. You see, it's interesting because Peter and, and John, they both believe this, and yet John tells us that there's something that they're still missing. Right? He says they believed it, but yet there's still something that they didn't understand. In fact, other gospel writers will tell us that Peter struggled with this for a little bit. The disciples didn't fully understand it for a little while. And so on the one hand, they believe, but on the other hand, they don't believe. And I think this is what John is saying. That the power of the resurrection of Jesus is not just simply that you agree with the facts of the scenario. Right? It's not just a matter of like, yes, those facts check out. Yes, I believe in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, I'm in church on Sunday. I'm taking notes about the resurrection of Jesus. Right? That is not where true change happens. Now, the facts matter. And John is clear that the facts prove that Jesus rose from the dead. But there's something still that John and Peter have not yet experienced. And it might be that there's something that you have not experienced. That you're in church on Sunday. And you're looking nice. And there's deviled eggs later waiting for you. You agree to the facts but you haven't actually been changed. Because you and I know facts don't change people. I know that I should not eat three donuts on Easter Sunday, and yet I do. <laughs> facts do not change people. And I think the reality is, if you and I were honest about why you are where you are, about the things that you care about, the things that you believe, the things that matter most to you, it's not about your head, it's about your heart that I have desires that I want to protect above all else. I have core beliefs about myself and God and the world that I want to hold on to. And the scary thing that has to happen, the fear that you have to work through at this stage of searching is the fear of losing control. And what I mean by that is this, is that if Jesus rose spiritually from the dead and that's it, that's fine, I can put that in a box. If, if it's just the facts of the resurrection, then that's fine. I can come to church on Easter Sunday every year and go on my merry old way. But if Jesus rose literally and physically from the dead, then that would have to change something about your life. That would have to change something about how you live. Because Jesus would have to be someone other than anyone you had ever encountered. Someone with authority and power and wisdom that would have to place demands on your life. And so this is why we are often content in this searching stage where it's like, check the facts. Yes, I believe those facts. But something else has to happen for you in order to experience true change. And that's why John brings us back to Mary in verse 11. He says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So somewhere along the way, as Peter and John ran to the tomb, Mary has made her way back to the tomb still weeping still in her grief, but her vision is starting to change. Something is happening in her as she is there. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She's still holding on to this ignorance. She's still holding on to this belief. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. John knows how to put a lot in one phrase. Jesus standing. Praise God that Jesus is standing in front of Mary. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her two questions. Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And I think in these two questions, 
Jesus is inviting you to consider your heart and the real reasons why maybe you don't want to believe in who Jesus is. The first question, why are you weeping? He's saying, what pain are you carrying? You see, the reality is most people that I know, and maybe for you, most people that I know who resist the way of Jesus, who push back against Christianity, do so not because of their head, but because of some pain in their life. Maybe there's a time in your life where you really were hoping that God was there and you were praying that something would happen, that a healing would come or that a job would come your way, and it seemed like you didn't get an answer, and that pain led to this incredible disappointment. And they say, no, I'm done with that. Maybe for you, it was someone who followed Jesus, who was in your life, who mistreated you or abused you. And for you, you think, if that's what Jesus is about, I want nothing to do with that. You see, Jesus stands before Mary, and before convincing her of who he is, he first says, what pain are you carrying? And just consider the the incredible compassion of Jesus here. That he at any moment could be like, look, Mary, I'm here. What are you crying? I'm here. But instead, he first enters into that painful place for Mary and says, what pain are you holding? You see, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus is not that it erases your pain, but that it transforms your pain. Because Jesus, in order to rise from the dead, he entered into death on Friday. And before he entered into that death on Friday, you know where he was? He was in a garden wrestling with prayer, asking God to answer. And so Jesus' victory over the grave does not mean that somehow now you have to stop feeling pain and just always be joyful, but rather that your pain takes on a new meaning. That your pain now, rather than being a sign that God is not working and that God has abandoned you, is in fact a place that God wants to work in your life to transform you to see the goodness of the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you're holding on to pain, you say, I cannot believe I don't want to hear this because you don't know the painful things that I've gone through. Jesus went through all of it for you. He went into the painful places for you so that you can know that death is not the end, that your pain is not the end, that God will, in fact, transform your pain because he is stronger even than death itself. And so your pain, Jesus cares about it. He says, bring it to me. But the second question he asks is, who are you looking for? And this is a question of expectations. What did Mary expect to see? She expected to see Jesus laying dead on the ground. Her expectations of who Jesus is and what Jesus was going to do prevented her from seeing God working. You see, this is the reality. Is your expectations of how God works your expectation of who he is and what he cares about, those might be the very things that are getting in the way of you actually seeing Jesus. You think, well, this is how God works. This is how he should work. This is how he should answer my prayer. Look, if God is God, then he's not going to fit in your box all the time. If God is God, he's going to surprise you. He's going to shock you sometimes. He's going to have wisdom that you don't have. And so the reality is we would rather have a Jesus dead on the ground than a Jesus standing in front of us. Because if Jesus is dead on the ground, I can kind of leave it be. But if Jesus is standing in front of me, then I have to rethink everything. I need to reshape my whole expectation of how God works. That's what Mary is experiencing right here and right now. Your expectations of who God is and how God works 
might need to be radically transformed. And all of this comes to this one point. She still doesn't get it. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. You see, this is where true change has to happen. All this time, Mary thought she was looking for Jesus. And yet she finds that Jesus was looking for her. And this is where the real power of the death and resurrection of Jesus meets you. The facts are impersonal. Facts are over here. I can put them in a box. I don't have to deal with them. But the reality is that Jesus died on Good Friday for you. That Jesus was buried in the tomb on Saturday for you. And Jesus rose again on Resurrection Sunday so that you could be made alive. That Jesus calls her Mary. He's calling your name as well. That he is standing in front of you on Resurrection Sunday saying, what are you going to do with me? I'm calling you. Are you going to answer the invitation? Are you going to answer the invitation to be made new, to be resurrected, to trust me and to follow me? And this is where we see who Jesus is most clearly. He says this, don't cling to me. She's clearly fallen at his feet, overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus is in fact here. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. You see, all throughout John's gospel, Jesus has referred to God as his father. This is the first time he says, your father. That what happened on Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, and what happened on Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus rose again, makes it possible for you to know God as your God. For you to know God as your father. Not just as an impersonal idea that I put away on the shelf and bring out once every Easter, but as an active presence in your life concerned and caring for your issues and your questions and your pain. And the way that you get this is only through Jesus. Because no one else has overcome the power of death. No one else has paid the price for your sins. Only Jesus. And so it is only through Jesus that you can say, my God, my Father, that you can in fact know with clarity and confidence who God is and what God thinks of you. To follow Jesus as a teacher, as a Lord, as a king, and in doing this, to have the confidence to know why you're here, why your life matters, and what God is doing in the world. See, they were not expecting a risen Jesus. They were expecting a dead Jesus. What are you expecting this morning? Because Jesus is alive and Jesus is calling your name. Which means that you have an opportunity to answer him. To answer him as Mary said, teacher. To fall at his feet and worship him. To fall at his feet and trust him. To fall at his feet and say, my Lord and my God. That this is why Resurrection Sunday matters. And this is why it matters for you. And so what are you going to do about it? You may be here and you might be in that space of ignorance. You say, I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I know what I know. I don't want to deal with this. I'm just here for the deviled eggs. Jesus is saying, he's calling to you. Say, come search for me. Come look at the facts. Come consider the empty tomb. I did this for you.
You might be here and you might be searching and you've been content with the facts for a long time. Say, I believe this. It's good. I checked the box. But it's impersonal. Jesus is saying, give me control. Trust me. Admit your sin. Turn to me and I will make you new. And when you find Jesus, when he makes you new, what does Jesus say? Go tell everyone. Because this changes everything. God, we thank you that Jesus could not be held down by the grave. He could not be held down by the powers of sin and death, but on Resurrection Sunday, he broke through. He broke the chains that hold us in our ignorance. He uh, cast the light into our darkness so that we could see clearly who you are. God, for the one who's here who is in their ignorance and the darkness and they're, they're comfortable with that, God, would you confront them and challenge them? Would you haunt them with this question that there might in fact be more for them? For the one who's here who's searching and who's kind of been content with the facts, Jesus, would you let them hear you calling them this morning? To know that this is in fact about them finding you, about them experiencing the forgiveness of Good Friday and the new life of Resurrection Sunday. God, may we be people who go into the towns and the cities and our blocks and our community announcing that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, then everything can be different. We thank you for the risen Jesus. We celebrate and we worship him this morning.